0: Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky, Sports Talk Chicago, one of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a polo sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky, Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago you know that all sports rock, the Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose, as long as the Packers. Welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your host, Sean. Surprise, Alex could not be here tonight, so I will be flying solo. So on this episode, we are going to be talking about Bears. We're going to be talking about Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, and White Sox. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. not familiar with the Rockford Ice They're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You could see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. So make sure you stop over to IceHogs.com, get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, and sign up for season tickets for next season, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent ya. Hey folks, so we are back. This is the last episode before the big NFL draft which is coming up in a couple of days. Hopefully you are checking this episode out before the draft. Uh, we will have an episode next or afterwards recapping the Bears' choices and, uh, you know, our analysis of the players that they've got, that they selected, and whatever trades that Ryan Pace may have bungled into. Um, You know, talking about the NFL draft, the, the thing about it is, you know, I don't mind trading up. Trading up to identify a player and get a player that's going to fill a hole is, is perfectly acceptable. The issue is that the players that we've moved up the draft board to get in the Ryan Pace regime have not been those guys. And we've wasted draft picks in order to move up and that's that's not helping us that's you know the the way the way you build the successful franchise is sure first and foremost you have to hit on your picks and you have to hit big on your early picks um you need a good quarterback and you need to supplement you supplement your uh, drafts with free agency and if you end up missing on your draft picks what happens then is you have to supplement it more with free agency, which hurts you as far as the salary cap goes. And also you end up redrafting that same position. That's where you get into holes. If, you know, you don't necessarily have to hit a home run on every pick, but when you hit failures on picks, you fail on a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick. That's that's fine. I mean, You would rather hit on them, but nobody's expecting those those rounds to be hits. On your second, third, first, you need to hit on those picks. If you don't, that's where the bad things happen. Because you're drafting your first, second, third, fourth round picks. You are expecting that player to be a contributor day one. Your first rounder, you probably are expecting them to be a starter day one. And when those players are failures, and you have to redraft that position, that is, that screws up the, the plan that you have. So if you're like, you know what, we drafted a wide receiver in the first round, and a safety in the second round, linebacker in the third, we feel like those players should fill those gaps. Even if they're not as great as you expect them to be, they have some warts on them that you, you didn't expect in the NFL. It, but they're productive players. All right, you're not so bad because you're not redrafting that. But if they're terrible or they're chronically injured and you have to redraft with another high pick, that's essentially two or more picks at the same position to fill the same hole. That's wasteful. And then you look at what the Bears did is the guys they traded up for. Again, like I said, I'm not opposed to trading up as long as you hit on that guy. We traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. We could have traded back and gotten uh, one of the two much better quarterbacks. I know hindsight's 2020, but we traded up. We traded tr- valuable draft picks to get Mitchell Trubisky when we could have had him staying put. We traded up for... Uh, Leonard Floyd, and Leonard Floyd was okay, but he wasn't the impact player that we expected. Um, we tra- I think we traded up for um, Kevin White. He was a failure, like an absolute failure. So we traded up for players that didn't pan out, and that's the fear. It's not the being aggressive you're aggressive and you're like, you know what, I've identified it, that this is the guy that we need to have on our team. All right, more power to you. But if you miss on that pick, the scrutiny is on. If if the Bears had traded up to the second pick and taken Patrick Mahomes, and the what Patrick Mahomes has become Nobody in the world would have questioned the draft capital that the Bears gave up in order to get him. Nobody. You'd have been like, mm, you know what? They got the best quarterback in the league. Okay, we can live with that, with the, the picks that we gave up to move up one spot. But you drafted Mitch Trubisky. So now you're like, well, you wasted a pick and you wasted all these other picks. All of those picks that you got, you they were a waste that he never was the quarterback that you wanted and regardless of what happens from here on out in his career if he becomes a super bowl winning mvp caliber quarterback he he was an absolute failure for the chicago bears and what they were looking to do and they missed the opportunity with not just one pick multiple picks and it has hurt them dearly so again i am not against trading up because the rumors are that ryan pace is planning to trade up it's just that if you are going to trade up you had better hit a home run with that pick um who else did they trade up for they traded up for anthony miller and again failure so just not a good history of trading up and if the rumors are true that i mean and i'll get this get to this in a second If the rumors are true, and the Bears are going to trade up to get one of the top five quarterbacks, going from number 20, the 20th pick where the Bears currently sit, to get within the top 10 is going to cost the Bears dearly. And when you trade up in the draft, there's like a quarterback tax. If they know you're going for a quarterback they're going to tax you on that and you're going to pay very dearly for that that draft pick so the bears are going to have to pay handsomely and they're going to borrow from future draft picks in order to pay for moving up and and the i mean i'm looking at it now is uh you know you have no chance to get trevor lawrence he's going number one you can't get the first pick Zach Wilson is almost assuredly going number two. You're not getting that pick. The 49ers just paid through the nose to get that number three pick. You're not prying that away from them. Um, So they're, and you don't trade up all the way that high in this draft to not go after a quarterback. So they're going after a quarterback and I don't know if it's, Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones, but they're going after a quarterback. So that leaves two first round grade quarterbacks for you to get. And there are several teams that could potentially either take quarterback where they are like Denver or new England. Uh, I mean, even the Vikings could take a quarterback because they've only got their quarterback under contract, I think, for this coming year. So there are teams that, could that without having to trade up, are already in a position to take the two remaining quarterbacks left from you. And that's not even including that the Arthur Blanks, the owner of the, uh, the, the Atlanta Falcons, is apparently infatuated with taking a quarterback at number four. If that happens... No chance the Bears are getting one of the first round grade quarterbacks. So if you're the Bears, in order to guarantee yourself one of these top five quarterbacks, you gotta get drafted in the top five to guarantee it. And they just don't have the draft capital. They're gonna pay through the nose to go to go into that position. Even if you go to about number 10, where Dallas is picking. You're going to pay a high price for one of those quarterbacks, and the issue with that is, you had absolutely better hit on that, because if you are mortgaging your future on this quarterback, then you had better hit a home run. You can't hit a, you can't hit a loud single or a double, you have to hit a home run. Hell, you can't even hit a triple if you you're mortgaging the future if somebody falls to number 20 then you know you're you're okay hitting a double or a triple with a quarterback because if, but if you're mortgaging the future you're giving up your your 2022 and 2023 first rounders to move up you had better get an absolute stud um and, and honestly, looking at the quarterbacks in this draft, there's four tiers. Four tiers with some top sub-tiers. So you've got your first tier. These are the first-round grade quarterbacks. And there's sort of, you know, they're not all cut in from the same mold. You've got your 1A, which is Trevor Lawrence. That's quarterback in this draft. Then you got your 1B which is the next tier that are are very good quarterbacks um, that you know most teams would be happy to get, and which is Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. Then you've got that one C, who uh, you know there there's some more question marks to them, but they're first round talents, and that's Mac Jones. Which the the question on him is what's his ceiling? I potentially think I personally think he's a quarterback that has a very high floor you're not going to fail with him but i don't think he has the ceiling that the other first round grade quarterbacks have i don't think i think any of the other four quarterbacks could be an elite quarterback i don't know if mac jones can but i think his floor is very high so he's a, the safest, well, uh, Trevor Lawrence is probably the safest, but Mac Jones is probably the second safest quarterback in this draft. You're not going to fail with him, but I just don't know where his ceiling is. The other one in that that third tier of the first rounders is is Trey Lance. Now, he is a quarterback that has all the talent in the world, and, you know, I'm not going to say he is patrick mahomes he plays like patrick mahomes he's got a big strong arm um he doesn't throw interceptions he's mobile enough trey lance has all the tools the question on him is what's he going to look like playing against an nfl defense coming from north dakota state the school where um we saw carson wentz come from and uh Trey Lance didn't he only played one game last year because their their entire season was supposed to be canceled because of COVID and they played one game in order to get film on him so we don't have a lot of film on him so that's the question marks on him but talent wise it's just through the ceiling he just may he may be a flop he's the most of those five he's the most likely to be a flop Uh, But he's also, he's also got sky high, you know, the sky is the limit type level of, of talent. Then you've got your second tier quarterbacks and there's actually, you know, this, this draft has so many quarterbacks in it that, that could be serviceable NFL quarterbacks much higher than usual. And so you, that's why you're seeing so many teams frothing at the mouth, trying to get one of these guys. That second tier guys that, you know, I'm hearing rumors could sneak into the first. I don't think so. Um, they're probably second, third round type guys, probably second because of the positional value. And that's Kyle Trask out of Florida, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, and Davis Mills out of Stanford. I would call those the second tier quarterbacks. They're the more likely one that the Bears will be able to get. And then you've got the third tier quarterbacks. Those tiers are, these are guys that I think for teams that have an established quarterback but don't have a lot of depth, these are guys that with work could be a either a guy that you trade to a team that has an injury at quarterback and needs somebody you know, you develop these guys. They're either a really solid backup, potentially a starter at some point, if if you work it out. But they're these guys are worth a flyer. They're they have potential. And that's Jamie Newman out of Georgia and Felipe Franks out of Arkansas. And then you've got your fourth tier of quarterbacks. And those are the one that's basically everybody else. Those are quarterbacks that not worth drafting. You're just kind of sort of wasting a draft pick. They're not gonna, they're not gonna make it. You might as well, out of those, you might as well just see who doesn't get drafted and bring them in as an undrafted rookie and let them try to win it out that way. They're not worth wasting your picks unless you have a boatload of six seventh rounders and you wanna guarantee you get one into your camp. But I, I just don't feel like any of them are worth drafting. Um So, uh, quickly, I just want to go through, I don't see a realistic way for the Bears to get one of the top five quarterbacks, the first round grades. I think, I think the frenzy is there. Teams are taste blood in the water and they're like, you know, quarterbacks are going, quarterbacks are going and they're like sharks, eyes rolling in the back of their heads. And they're in a feeding frenzy. They're like, I got to get a quarterback. And I you know, it's a very good possibility that all five of these guys could be gone in the first 10 picks. Very high. So, uh, I just don't see the Bears, and nor should they. You know, somebody, George McCaskey or somebody should tell Ryan Pace, no, you cannot mortgage the future to move up in the draft. Sorry. You've been here like seven years or eight years or whatever, dude. You had all these chances to get a quarterback. You're not mortgaging the future on a on the off chance that maybe you could get one of these guys. You get the scraps of these guys, not even like the guy of your choice. So don't don't be that guy. Don't let them. Don't let Ryan Pace mortgage the future. Just you can't. And I get it. You brought him back. You said he's your general manager, and academically, you should be like, well, we shouldn't handcuff the guy, but I just don't, with his history of trading up and overpaying to trade up and missing on his guys that he trades up for, I just don't know how you let him mortgage your future because if you let him do that, you're you're in bad shape. Um, so, realistically... I think the bears should look at that second tier of quarterback ones that have very high potential to, 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 be able to do things in the NFL. Um, but they're not, they're not the same caliber of players, as the first rounders. So the Kyle Trasks, the Kellen Mons the Davis mills, I think that's where you're looking as the bears and you go, you know what? We've only got so many picks why are we going to waste them trading up let's let's stand pat get one of these guys and surround him with weapons get us a right tackle get us another wide receiver um draft a cornerback so these are the types of positions that you need to get on your team um and so I'm looking at those three quarterbacks and, and, you know, I watched film on them and I know everybody's really high on Kellen Mond. And of those three, honestly, he's the one I would rank the lowest personally. Um, Last year he passed for 2,282 yards, 19 touchdowns and three interceptions, but it's, uh, completion percentage was sixty-three percent, which is not terribly good. Um, he's a dual threat. So of of these three quarterbacks, he's far and away the most mobile. But I, and he's got a strong arm. But he's not dangerous enough with his legs, like a Lamar Jackson, and his arm is not good enough to to win with. I don't think he's got a very strong arm, but I don't always like his decision-making. Uh, when you watch, he throws a lot of passes with his arm. Um, Cause I, I think he does have that strong arm and he throws into coverage that you're just like, ah, that window, that window you just made it into is not going to be there in the NFL. That is not an NFL window that you threw it into. And he will wing those in there, and I think I think he's ripe for getting a lot of picks going into the NFL. Um, I don't really like his mechanics, uh, but he does have good pocket presence. Like he's a very aware in the pocket. Um, doesn't doesn't uh, get overly worked up about about pressure. Um, sees his target. Doesn't see ghosts. So I do like that. But his deep ball is not very good, and I think that's partly due to the mechanics. Um, and he's a guy that will give up; he will pass on the on a on a deeper deeper ball to dump it off. And I think I, I that I don't like. Um, I, I just I just don't see Kellen Mon being an elite quarterback. And I, I if you're the Bears and you draft him. I just don't see him as being the long-term answer for you. Um and I wouldn't I mean, you if you're the Bears, you have to walk out of this draft with a quarterback. If you don't, you are a complete and utter disaster of an organization. Like that is that is the most tone-deaf stupid thing you could do. So they need a quarterback and and if they were in a better spot, like if, if you knew, if you knew, you know, the red shooter was going to be, uh, if Andy Dalton, you knew he was going to be an uh, average quarterback for you and you could have him for a couple of years, then you're back. Like, all right, I, I will roll the dice with a Jamie Newman or a Felipe Franks if if I can't get anybody else. I'm not going to overdraft out of need. But I don't think you know what you're going to get with Andy Dalton. So I I think you do need to overdraft somebody. And a Kellen Mond, I wouldn't feel comfortable drafting earlier than somewhere in the the very end of the third, probably more like the middle of the fourth. That's kind of the range I think he's deserving of. But I, I feel like he's going to get drafted earlier than that because Teams are desperate, and it's a, a critical position. Um, but I, I don't—I don't love him. Um, the second ranking of those three I have is Davis Mills out of Stanford. Uh, last year he threw for fifteen hundred eight yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, sixty-six point two percent completion percentage. This guy is a statue. He is a pocket passer period. He's not going to he's not going to beat you with his legs. But he has good arm talent. I mean, very good arm talent. You watch him pass, his his mechanics are smooth, his arm everything is buttery buttery smooth like melted butter. It's it's nice to watch. It just he looks like an NFL quarterback back there. Um I, I don't know how else to describe it. He, when he's back there, he looks, I I mean, if you could mask, you know, any identifiers and just make it a, uh, you know, Photoshop it to being a plain uniform, it looks like Andrew Luck. Like that type of, you know, the way he is back there. I'm like, all right, I'm okay with this. The problem is, is the guy has had an injury history and he only has eleven starts at Stanford. Uh, that's the scary part—the eleven starts. We look at Mitch Trubisky had very few starts at North Carolina, and it came back to bite us in the ass. And the number one guy I have out of those three—and this is just my personal opinion—is Kyle Trask. And I know there's a lot of draft gurus and you know draft experts. That aren't as high as him on him as I am, and I'm not saying I'm I'm like oh team Kyle Trask, I'm just saying is of these three I personally see the highest upside in him, and I would say Davis Mills might be the safest. I don't know, maybe Kyle Trask is the safest of them with the highest. I just like Kyle Trask. He's got the production. So last year, he threw for 4,283 yards, which put him as second in college football. He threw 43 touchdowns, which was first in college football, versus only eight interceptions. And he threw for just shy of 69%, 68.9% completion percentage. So he had a good completion percentage. And when you watch him play, he's not, I mean... Sure, he was thrown to Kyle Pitts, the the best tight end by far in this draft, and maybe, you know, he has the potential to be the tight end of our generation. But, you know, Kyle Trask wasn't throwing dump-off passes to get these. He was so aggressive. I like that. He is fearless in there. You know, you're looking, he's playing like Alabama, and it's third and three, and he's throwing like a 40-yard pass for a touchdown. He's confident. You go out there and you watch him and he has confidence. Very Baker make Mayfield-ish. Um, he comes from a winning program at Florida. He's got really nice deep ball touch on the on the ball. He will throw into coverage and not in bad ways, but I watched him throw double coverage in the end zone. But it was the positioning of it was where it was that wide receiver had the position and and he had the high point to get it unless, you know, you had an absolutely incredible play by a cornerback. There was no way anybody was intercepting that he was either a touchdown or an incomplete pass. Um, the, the issues I have with Kyle Trask is he will stare down a receiver on occasions. And, and when he knows that there's a guy he's going to go to, he will stare him down not that fleet of foot i'm not he's not a statue like davis mills he sneakily will get you some yards but he is not he is not a mobile quarterback uh and and he doesn't always recognize when when there's uh pressure coming so he just sort of needs to develop that but i think he's got the highest ceiling out of any of those three and that's that next tier of quarterbacks so uh, if I'm the Bears, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like you know listen, I we can't we can't waste the draft capital on on moving up for the hope of getting the scraps of the last two quarterbacks of the top five. I mean you're really that's what you're doing is the top three are gonna be gone and then you're fighting for. Uh, I mean well essentially you're gonna be trey uh trevor lawrence is gonna be gone zach wilson gone i think i personally think the 49ers are going to go for justin fields and so i think you're competing you're going to have to move up probably in the top seven picks in order to get to to guarantee yourself one of the other quarterbacks and it's just too much to pay to get one. I, I would probably focus on Kyle Trask, who you're probably going to have to spend your second round pick on and maybe even move up in the second round to get him. I think I think a mid to late second round is maybe even early third round is where his, if you're being objective about his talent, that's probably where he is. But because of the positional value that you put on the quarterback position it moves him up and he's probably a you know early to mid second rounder so the bears might even have to trade up in the second round to get him but that's that's kind of where i i rank those those guys uh um you know if i'm if i'm uh the bears that's kind of what i'm doing and then I wanted to uh, also wanted to do I did one final mock draft for the Bears and so I drafted without any trades and I'm sure there will be trades for the Bears but I don't it's hard to anticipate what a trade would look like um, and that's that just seems like a complete stab in the dark so Uh, I mean, even more so than mock drafts are. But I I did a mock draft where they stand pat. And here's what I have. And I I would be very happy with this draft. There's some guys I like in here a lot. I think this would be a home run for the Bears. Or at least a a solid uh, stretch double or a slide-ins triple. Number 20. Christian Derisaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. He was the high, uh, pro football focus. He was the highest rated tackle in the Power Five in 2020. Very good. Um, Probably, probably could play left tackle in the NFL. Very likely. But right off the bat, I mean, Charles Leno is going to be your left tackle. You're paying him a lot. He's played there. Is you just plug Darasaw in there at the right side, and you are you have a day one right tackle, no competition, and that improves your your offensive line immensely. Uh, so you look at the way the offensive line would improve is you got a plug and play right tackle. Hopefully Charles Leno returns to the form of when you paid him, when he was actually a pretty solid left tackle, uh, and then you, you got a healthy, um, James Daniels back playing a guard, uh, white hair goes to the other guard position. And then, um, and then you've got, uh, um, I got him trying to blank on his name. The guy that played center at the end of the year that they was uh, undrafted out of Notre Dame, um, Sam Mustafer Sam Mustafer you put him back at center And, and I think that is a much improved offensive line and it's serviceable enough for you to get by second pick the number 52 overall. I have Kyle Trask quarterback out of Florida. He led the nation in big time throws at 41 per pro football focus. So he had 41 big time throws in the NFL or in the uh, college football last year. And I think he's exceptional in the pocket. With the number 83 pick, I have Richie Grant, the safety out of University of Central Florida. Super versatile, great with the run support. I think, I think he had the, the possibility to win the starting safety position um, opposite Eddie Jackson. I think him being able to play the run support allows Eddie Jackson to do what he does best, which is be a ball hawk. Um, the next pick I have is a guy I'm very excited about. I think he has a lot of potential. Is at 164. Jalen Darden, wide receiver out of North Texas. I think he's an electric player. Just watch him. He's a touchdown mas- machine. He had 74 catches last year. And in 74 catches, he had 19 touchdowns. That is... You know, you know one that's like twenty-five to thirty percent of his passes catches are are he takes to the house. Dynamic. I love him. I think that's a weapon. I don't know. I think you have to sort of gear your offense to find plays for him. I don't know if he's an every every snap kind of offensive player, but I think you he's a player that you can make room for and he makes your offense more dynamic with the 204th pick i have shakur brown cornerback out of michigan state um he was injured in 2019 and they had a short in 2020 so that, that means he's pretty raw but i think he might be a steal in this draft i like him a lot especially at 208 with I'm sorry, with 204. And 208, I also take another cornerback out of Oklahoma, Trey Brown. He's a three-year starter, great player. But I think due to his size, I feel like he's going to be a, a slot corner. So I, I still think he's a value there. Um, I don't think you're overdrafting with two cornerbacks there. I think they two different needs that you have. 221. I have Milton Williams, defensive line out of Louisiana Tech. He's a three-technique type player. He was graded over a 90 by Pro Football Focus last year. Fast, strong, explosive. He's just a guy that you got to keep motivated. But if you can keep him motivated, and and I think I think the other defensive players on the Bears will keep him motivated. I think he's a steal. Absolute steal. And then 228 i have uh, larry barome who played tackle and guard at mizzou but i feel like in the nfl he's probably going to be either a swing tackle or a guard um and he's not that fast or quick but he's a big powerful guy i think i honestly think where he's going to be at his best is at a right guard in the nfl and um uh, but I think he's a kind of a road grader type guy and he's not going to be needed to start anytime soon. He's going to be a injury fill in or a, you know, if, if there's no, uh, if there's no injuries, he's kind of a project guy. I think you could, you can work him into something and, and, and be him have him be a future piece into your offensive line. And so honestly, for me at, I worked really hard in the draft. I think those are all realistic positions for those guys. Maybe Kyle Trask goes a little earlier than where I have him going to the bears, but, uh, those, I think those are all players that if the bears got in those positions, they would be happy with. And I think it would be a very productive draft. Um, I'm going to move on to baseball. I think now, um, I'm going to start Cubs. We're we're seeing the same problems with the Cubs that we've been bitching about all season long so far, and I know it's not been a long season yet, but the inconsistencies of the offense. You know, I know this is an odd week to do it because on Wednesday they scored 16 runs against the Mets, and on Friday they scored 15 against the Brewers. But... I think that cements home the point. I think it you know makes you realize, look at the other games. They have the capability to put those types of numbers up. They just don't. They don't have the, the problem is is you have too many similar style hitters and they they're not able to, and there's not enough contact guys on this team. So you look at Tuesday's win. They won 3-1 against the Mets, but it took a really good start from Jake Arietta, where he gave up one run, five innings. The Cubs scored three runs, but they only had four hits. Four hits. That's not how you win baseball games long-term. You look at, uh, you look at Thursday's game. They won 4-3 to three in 10 innings, but you got three runs... In the third inning, and you didn't score in the other eight regular game innings. So you had eight innings where you didn't score a run, and then you had to go into extra frames to to get a run to win the game. Or Saturday's game, you lost four to three, and you should have won that one. You you know you gave up you gave up a two run shot to 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 lose the lead four to two. But that happened early enough in the game where you felt like, all right, you know, another team with a productive offense. You're, it's only two runs. We can come back and win this, and they couldn't. It. It's everybody felt the the sense of doom. Like, all right, well, we lost this game already because we're down four to two. We can't win this, and they lost. Uh, I mean, they got it closer. They got it down to four to three on Jason Hayward's. Um, solo home run but it, it, it's the overall feeling when you're the cubs you just they, they can't put runs together today 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 was a especially stupid game is i think you were down down one to nothing but you were late in the game and and you couldn't score anything i mean the cubs the cubs were just getting manhandled today as far as their offense goes Um, I think they had four hits total today. Look, I I was just, I was in and out of the game today. So Bodie got a hit. Rizzo got a hit. Baez got a hit. And Duffy got a hit. Four hits today. They got four hits. And they were down one, nothing. And you're like, okay, going into the ninth, you're down one. A solo shot ties this up, sends it to extra's. So why don't you why don't you put in your stud closer, Craig Kimbrell? That's a position you're like, okay, it's not a save position. It's a keep us in the game position. And you're down one to nothing in the ninth inning. Give yourself an opportunity to go to the bottom of the ninth and potentially tie it up. And instead, and instead you bring in Adam and he does not record an out gives up five runs five runs and you lose six to nothing they scored more runs than you got hits that just you can't have that happen you've you've gotten the pitching the pitching has been has kept you into games the hitting just isn't working and and you're like okay well so we played one, two, three, four, five, six games since the last show, and four of them were ab- abysmal offensive showings. Four out of six, two thirds. You had, and then the other two were just absolute mashers. Um, Friday's game was was more of a traditional Cubs mash game, where you had. Baez with a home run, Contreras with a home run, Mariznick with a home run, Rizzo with a home run. So you had four players homer, and then you had six doubles in the game. So four home runs, six doubles. You scored uh, 15 runs. That's a more traditional Cubs. But Wednesday's game against the Mets was a really, it, it was my favorite game of the season because they scored 16 runs on only one home run. Every single position player on the Cubs got a hit. At least one hit. And the crazy part about it is the Cubs won 16-4. to And Zach Davies only gave up two runs. And he got a no decision. Which is brutal. Um, But honestly, that was what I want to see more with the Cubs. Get hits. Manufacture runs those are that's a skill that is something you need to do if you plan to compete with anybody you need to be able to manufacture runs and manufacturing runs is not always home run and that's what cubs score how they score most of their runs home run boom or bust and it's like the whole team is a team of hobby biases home runs or nothing and so being able to see them put up so many runs on without home runs was, was great to see. I want to see hard hit balls. I want to see doubles. I want to see good base running. I want to see contact with you know pitches and less strikeouts and less swinging at balls outside the zones. And that's the, who the Cubs are, swinging outside the zones. You know, I, I saw this hilarious video of a guy at a batting cage and he would swing and miss. And by the time he got himself set to swing again, the next pitch was already going. So he was already like, you know, a day late on his next swing and just woof, whiff, whiff. And he can never align himself with being ready for the pitch. You know, most guys would probably in that position, just let a pitch go by and then get ready in the batter box this guy no he was just a late super late swing like after the ball was already gone and i was like this is hobby bias it's like a hobby bias right there uh, so you know watching the cubs is is a struggle this is a team you know i have i've talked with friends that are that are white Sox fans they're like you know the cubs aren't bad they're not that bad but really they're not that good either i'm i'm not you know I'm not saying that they're the Baltimore Orioles they're not a laughing stop joke joke team they but they're a team that is supposed to be in a championship window and they' there's a, you know a 0.1% chance that they could win a, a World Series this is a flawed team and they're in a bad division they could they could potentially win the division. Uh, That's not out of the realm of possibility, but can they compete with the Padres? Can they compete with uh, the Braves? Can they compete with the Dodgers? The answer is no. They can't compete with those teams. So, you know, what's the point of being competitive in the regular season? Is you need to be built to be a playoff team. And that's the thing is most sports is... The the regular the playoffs are just a microcosm of the regular season. It's more intense, but you know you still the best team the best teams from the regular season are the best teams in the postseason for the most part. Uh, basketball maybe you see some overachiever teams like when the Bulls were the tryhard Bulls under Thibodeau. Um, probably this year's Utah Jazz where they're just overachievers, but you're going to it's not like you're going to see some also ran team run up on everybody and win but baseball is a different animal it is it's essentially a, a marathon and then once you get to the end of the marathon then it's an, a sprint and they are sprinters and then there's marathon runners and those are not the same skill set and that's what you see in baseball is sure the cubs over 162 games they can have a solid record and you know maybe they win a division but when it comes to that sprint they're not that fast they can't win a sprint there's no chance they can win a sprint unless everybody else trips over their own shoelaces and falls down it's just not going to happen and and you look at things like so far the cubs have had six rubber game matches this year and they're one in five that that's just not sustainable when you're trying to compete you know for a division title that's that's just not that's not sustainable and i, I don't know how to how you you reconcile that with the cubs like what how do you fix these things that are broken and it's You know, I would say it's an off-season fix, but they've gone so many off-seasons and I don't know the correct fix. And whatever it is that they're doing is not the correct fix. And um, right now, as it stands, the Cubs are in fourth place in their division. 10 and 11. The Brewers are 13 and 8, winning the division. St. Louis is St. Louis is second at eleven and ten. Pittsburgh is eleven and eleven, which is absolutely shocking. Cubs are ten and eleven, and Cincinnati is nine and twelve, and they are on a seven-game losing streak. They are just pooping the bed down in Cincinnati. Um. You know but this is a long season I mean you look at the NL East Atlanta is nine and 12 right now they're not a nine we watched them play the Cubs they're not a nine and 12 team they are gonna be better the Mets we saw them play the Cubs they're not a first place team um you know the Dodgers are just killing everybody they're 15 and six uh and, man, there's no real stinkers in this league right now. I mean, Detroit is 7-15. and 15. They're bad. Um, but most everybody else is over 400. Colorado's not good either. But, yeah, you've got competitive teams this year, and we'll see that flatten out. I mean, this is still early on. I mean, we're 20 games into a, into a long season. So, um, we'll hold tight there. But on the south side, they had better results. What's funny because they had better results. But they're uh, you know they're not that much better off of a team than the Cubs. Um, Cubs ten and eleven. White Sox now twelve and nine, game and a half behind Kansas City, who I don't think is that good either. I think the White Sox end up running away with this one once they get their shit together. But uh, Monday you had eleven to four loss to the Red Sox, and that was that was, you know, if you take out that first inning of that game, your you're like, okay, this is a completely different ball game here. Um, I you know it's a uh, um, it, it's they scored they scored eight runs in the first inning. So it's a tight ball game if if you're able to throw out that first inning and the, the batting practice that they went on. Um, that's... Uh, um, you know, what... Uh, sorry, if, if you take out that first inning, it's a completely different ball game. And as the White Sox, you competed in that game outside that first inning. And that's that's crazy that Lucas Giolito made it one inning. And he missed is missing his next start because he's got a cut on his finger. So I don't know if that impacted him in this game or if he got cut in that game and just you know wasn't the same player. But that's not the Lucas Giolito that we're used to seeing, especially against a a meh Red Sox team tee off on him like that. But, you know, the good things in that game is, is you saw Timmy Anderson go three for four. Um, saw the home run by Luis Robert. And we saw Mercedes pitch. <laughs> so, at least some fun things came out of that game. Um, then, the rest of the week, you saw nothing but White Sox victories, which is good. You had an 8-5 win against Cleveland. Um Carlos Rodon had another solid start, five innings, only two runs. His ERA is still less than 0.5 on the season. So Carlos Rodon doing really well. Are you happier for that? Um, you mashed four home runs in that game. You had seven players with hits. Um, you know the the White Sox offense churning at that point. Friday you had the 9-7 win against the Rangers. Um, you still, I don't know what you're getting from Dylan Cease. Is he a long-term starter for a quality team? You hope so, for the White Sox. Um, but, and Marshall's been shit this season. So, between Cease and Marshall, you went five innings with five earned runs. Um, you, Hendricks came in and got the save, but he did give up a home run, which is, you're always know, like, ew. And he's got a four, oh, like a four and a half ERA at this point. Um, so, I, you know, I don't. Hendricks is still leaving a bit to be desired. But Mercedes, after cooling down a bit, comes roaring back here, going four for four, with a double and three RBIs. And that guy, at some point, you're just waiting for him to, um, to level off, and you're really not seeing that. You just you're just not. He's he's just making good contact with the ball, solid contact, and and good things happen when you put the barrel, of the bat on the ball. You know you you make hits, you make hard, even when you're making outs, you're making hard outs. Uh, I like the way he's, he approaches the plate. Um, I think he's gonna make himself a lot of money doing this. But um, you know, you you look, and I, I still don't like the way that uh, Tony Larusa is constructing these lineups and his substitution patterns. I just I just don't understand. Um, you know, like having Adam Eaton batting second. Um, you know. Abreu is struggling a little bit, but Mercedes is crushing the ball. Why don't you move him up in the order so he sees more at, at-bats? He has more at-bats and more meaningful at-bats. Um, I, Luis Robert, way down in the lineup. Uh, you're, you're seeing, although he's really struggling, is Adam Vaughn is not getting regular playing time. And I, is I feel like they're doing this kid a disservice. I keep saying it is when you have a young player, especially when he doesn't have a lot of professional experience, you gotta have him playing baseball. He's shown that he's hit at every level. And I'm confident that at some point he'll hit in the pros, but you need to give him that bats. He's not going to get better by sitting on the bench and going from hot, cold, hot, cold, you know, in out, in out, he's got to have regular swings and I just feel like they're doing a disservice, and it's not like they—they're needing them to manufacture runs every day. They've got so many other guys in the lineup that can bop it, and sometimes the guys that they put in there, <clears throat> um, you know, Lurie Garcia is batting one seventy, Zach Collins is batting two o six. Like, there's guys that are, aren't hitting either, and you're like, okay, well, I can't. Why can't he get in there some at some point? Um, so I, I just don't understand that. Uh, but um, we did see Michael Kopech come in and start today. And he continued to look good. Pitched five innings, only gave up one run. ERA is a 1.72. Um, you know, it might be time to admit maybe Alex was wrong when he thinks he's a, a reliever full-time. That the kid's got good stuff. Um, you sure you only want five innings you'd like to see him go a little more especially in the al where you don't have to worry about um you know in the nl it's sometimes it's you pitch less innings because you're like oh the pitcher spot is due up in the lineup so we need to take our pitcher out with and put in a pinch hitter and pull him out of the game then you don't have to worry about that in the, in the al you can pitch a guy until he's ready to come out it doesn't matter you don't have to worry about the strategy of of when he's doing the lineup in the batting order um so that's so you would like to see your al pitcher pitch a little longer because uh, fifth inning usually about the fifth innings when you're coming up again for the pitcher in the NL. You're like, okay, maybe it's time to take him out so we can try to manufacture some runs uh, with a pinch hitter. But you don't have to worry about him in the AL. So, you know, you, you kind of want to see more out of Michael Kopech. And sure, he's been coming out of the bullpen. That's, uh, so, you know, maybe he's just not stretched out fully yet to, to go six, seven, eight innings. But I, I'll be interested to see how he they start working the order you know, you expect Lucas Giolito back for his next start. Does Dylan Cease lose some time? Does Copec go back to the bullpen? Because Lance Lynn is coming back as well. So you've got Rodon pitching well. You had Keiko pitch a good game. Giolito is going to be back soon. Um, you know, how, how many starting pitchers are you going to have? So, uh, I you know, who loses, who loses rotations? Or do they put somebody back into the bullpen? Um, the other good news is, Garrett Crochet pitched three innings today. Seems like the velocity is starting to come back a little bit. Still not where it was at when he came up last season where he was throwing triple digits, but he's throwing in the upper 90s, which is good. So you see like the velocity is coming back. So I don't know if that was like a conditioning thing. He wasn't quite ready. Hit a ramp up to that. Um, you know, maybe something with the cold weather, harder to throw. Now that it's warming up a bit, you'll start to see it. I don't know. But it's good to see Garrett Crochet because he's more effective when he's throwing faster. I think uh, when he's throwing a little slower, I don't know if he has the, quite the movement on the ball to to avoid bats. So I think he needs to use some of the speed to offset that. Um, but yeah, the White Sox, uh, you know, good, good week for baseball. Um, uh, you know, you did have a blown save yesterday from, from Hendricks. I don't know what to say. Bullpens are tough. Closers are tough. It's, you know, you build you build what's supposed to be a great bullpen, and they don't always perform. Um, you know, if he's going to blow saves, might as well get him out of the way now. Hopefully he regains his form soon enough. Maybe when the weather gets turns and gets where in the 80s and 90s, he pitches a little better. Uh, I know baseballs. I played baseball growing up. Playing baseball in the cold weather sucks. I don't like to do it. Um, so I'm sure there's players that are like that as professionals. We'll we'll see what. But I, I feel like by the end of the season, you're, he's going to return to being the guy that you you brought in. Um, and and once he is, he's in a groove and lights out like you expect them to, that sets the tone for the rest of that bullpen. And so as long as you stop throwing Marshall out there, you, you can really start setting your bullpen up and I think you get a better product, especially with this good starting pitching you've been getting. Lance Lynn's been good. Uh, other than the last start, giolito has been good. Now you got a good start from Kopech. Rodon has been aces. Um, and Keiko's starting to come around. So it, I feel like this team is coming together. You're, you're scoring a lot of runs. Your pitching is starting to come around. You just got to get that bullpen back to where it is. And, you know, they're going to be ahead of Kansas City in no time. Um, I'm going to talk Blackhawks and then wrap this up with Bulls. This week has been a tough one for the Blackhawks. They were behind in the standings, going in, you know, trying to get a playoff spot. You know, you were looking at having to beat Nashville Nashville was a team ahead of you. You had three straight games against Nashville. You could have taken all three. You know whoever whoever won that series was going to be in the driver's seat for that last playoff spot. And you know, unfortunately, we all knew Nashville has owned the Blackhawks all season, uh, and and it was unlikely that the Blackhawks were going to figure this out this week and, and take advantage. The Monday game, the first of the three, the Predators spanked the Blackhawks. one five to two. Um, ten different Predators had a point. That fourth line of the Predators was just was really good again. And it was the sixth loss the Blackhawks have had to the Predators this season. You saw Lankan get pulled, which I think was more of a wake up call to the, the blue liners than it was to him. I I felt like he got hung out to dry a lot by by a defense in front of him. I didn't think they played very well. Um so I you know Lankin it got yanked and got sort of spanked because of that. Um but you know it's it's honestly, you saw Subban being the next two games, and he got peppered too. So I, I feel like it's just the, the, Predators, the Predators were able to dominate and the Blackhawks uh, defense just didn't really have answers for it. Um, you know, Wednesday's game, they won. You saw a 5-4 victory in overtime, but even winning in overtime, the Predators still got a point from that. Uh, so... You know, out of possible six points this week that the Blackhawks could have taken, they got one, and and the uh, the Predators got five. Um, so you got your five four win in overtime, and it was kind of a miracle that they even got to that point. You watched; they were just being dominated. They were down four to one late in that game and they, Blackhawks scored like three goals in two and a half minutes to to tie that game up. And it, there was some odd turnovers and the Predators goalie has been lights out and they they were able to to capitalize and, and get some shots on him that they hadn't gotten. So you got like three goals in like two, two and a half minutes. Um, and, you know, you, you were able to take that one, bring it to overtime and come out with a victory you're like okay maybe they're getting some momentum let's see if this can translate into the third game because if the blackhawks can take that they're like okay they're not in that bad of a position it's not that good of a position because you needed to be able to win more than that but not so bad and then you came out flat three to one loss to the predators um so at this point now dallas has leapfrogged you in the standings Predator State ahead of you. So you are a few points out of being in a playoff spot, and you've only got two, four, six, seven games left this season. And the teams you're playing are Tampa, two against Florida, two against Carolina, and two against Dallas. Who are the team that's ahead of you? So I, I just I, – I don't know how the Blackhawks make the playoffs this year. I just – I think it's done. Um Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, we like we like playoff hockey, even if we know that they're not gonna they're not gonna make a, you know noise in the postseason. It's just nice to be able to get more experience for this team. Um, but some sort of take homes uh, is yeah you know, we're we're winding down the season here. Is I feel like Kirby Doc is still feeling the effects of that arm injury, that wrist injury. Um, I really feel like. He's going to be a good player, but I feel like he's got some of the lingering effects from from that. Because that was a brutal injury. It wasn't just like a broken wrist. And I don't know if you guys saw the picture of it. It's like his wrist was shaped like an S or a... Ah, it was so wonky, dislocated, and broken. Ugh. I'm going to barf. Him. Have, a, have a Marty Havlack crockpot sound thinking of that picture. Yeah. <laughs> um also i'd like the return of Vinny Hinestroza. i think he i think he's bringing good things to this team um, i like that and the last thing i just want to talk about is uh um that you know the, the blackhawks had a complete turnover and, and rebuild of of the defense and you know, they they brought in Ian Mitchell and Adam Boquist and Nicholas Baudine and uh and and those guys those three guys might be great offensive players. I, I'm not gonna deny that. It's the Blackhawks need a young defenseman who's a good defensive defenseman. He's the good defensive defenseman they have are older. Um and Riley Stillman has been that guy, he's a young guy, uh, you've seen some good things from him. And it's funny because I was making notes to myself, like, you know, I, I want to talk about this where I feel like he has a future with his team. He's 23 years old. Um, and I think he's the is not going to be, is not the future of this on this team. I, I feel like he, they tried to find a trade partner for him that they didn't, they felt like they'd get more value keeping him than what they were going to get from him. But I don't think Zadorov is the future of this team. But Ronnie right, you Stolman, you're like, okay, I think he brings some good things. And then, uh, you know, literally, as soon as I finish writing that up and getting prepped for that, um, the Blackhawks reward him with a three-year extension. Right? Okay, I like that. It was a very low-cost move. I want to say it was... Um, uh what is uh, stillman this is a three-year contract extension and with an annual cap hit of 1.35 million dollars so we're looking at like three-year four million dollar contract roughly so you're like all right i like that i feel like um you know i I feel like uh they they acquired him in early april from florida And I think his physicality and his age um, and, you know, his pedigree, uh, his dad um, was a two-time Stanley Cup winner, played 16 years in the NHL. I think all those things add up. You're like, okay, the physicality, the the youth, adds to our youth movement, Um, bring him from a winning organization with with the Panthers, Um, his pedigree. And the way he's played since the Blackhawks have brought him over a couple of weeks ago, I, I like this and being able to keep him on your team, till he's, until he's in his prime, 26, 27 years old, for one point three five a year. I think that's I think that's a good value there. So kudos to the Blackhawks. I you know I could shit all over Stan Bowman for some of the things he's done in the past, but I, I feel like, I feel like there's a vision here and. I don't know how we handle going forward, because there's there's still a lot to do to make this team a winner. But you know it's going to be they automatically have a good addition coming back for next year because we saw that Jonathan Taves is progressing and expects to be back next year. Um, so you're like, okay, well we're we're getting back an all an all star top line center automatically going to make your team better uh you're gonna have each of those guys get some more experience you've got money to work with in free agency um so i feel like they're on the right track i i'm interested to see how they're going to move forward with this team because i think if they make some smart moves that they can actually be competitive of a team um I think the, the first and foremost is they got to get a little tougher and on the blue line and, and be able to uh, have better protection to their goalies because you know you don't have an elite level goalie at this point. I like Lankinen. I, I think I think he's a solid goaltender and he might be end up being a good goaltender, but he's not an elite goaltender at this point. Maybe one day I don't know. I don't think so, but. He's definitely not an elite goaltender. You've got to have better play in front of him. You can't hang him out to dry and expect him to bail you out. Not Martin Brodeur. He's not Patrick Waugh. He's not, you know, the, these elite guys that just that can stand on his head and save the game for you. You've got to give him some help. He needs partners out there, and I, I feel like that's going to be the biggest thing for the Blackhawks. I think they can manufacture points. I think though they're going to be especially better when when you bring back Jonathan Taves. Um, it's going to be going to be how do you play defense in front of your goalie? And you know, Jonathan Taves is a good defensive center. That's going to help somewhat, but your def- your blue liners got to be better, and that's that's where they have to improve. And so I'll just be curious of how that happens. Um, Let's wrap this up a little bit with Bulls. This is such a frickin' night and day Jekyll and Hyde type team. So Monday, they had a really nice win. 102-96 against the Celtics. Vooch had 29 points, 9 rebounds. Kobe White stepped up while Zach Levine is out with COVID. And, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Kobe White had 19 points, 7 assists. You saw good defense, being able to hold a good Celtics team to under 100. You're like, okay, that's what we need to see. Because the goal, once you made that Vucevic trade, the goal was not to tank because you are you traded your first-round pick. You're not going into the draft lottery. That's not the hope. You're trying to push into the playoffs. you like, all right, even with with Zach Levine out. Um, and it's looking like he's going to be out for a bit. It's, you know, they they hoped eight games, but I think eight games is, is the starting point at this point. So, you know, we, we're going to probably be without him for a little bit longer. Um. So, you know, guys got to step up. And the guys you're looking at are uh, Young. Young's got to step up. Kobe White's got to step up. Lauren Markkinen's got to step up. Vooch has got to step up. And Vooch has stepped up. Vooch has been very good. It's, But he can't win these alone. you got to have somebody else step up with him. And so in that, that Monday game, you saw Kobe White step up. looked good. And then you're like, all right, Wednesday we're playing Cleveland. We feel like you should be confident in that game because you just beat a good Celtics team. And you, you shit the bed. Like, it, that's a a definition of shitting the bed came out listless and just absolutely puzzling play and you lose 121-105 to Cleveland at one point you trailed by 33 points 20 turnovers just, you know nobody played well in that game nobody hey, that's an embarrassment how do you how do you follow up a good win like that and you just you go out there and sleepwalk It's, it's tough. It's tough, man. How, I don't, you need to win those types of games. You need to play consistent basketball. And then Thursday you followed up with a a nice win, a 108-91 win against Charlotte, who's a a good team. And that one, you had three guys step up. Vooch had 18 points, 16 rebounds. Uh, Kobe White, 18 points. Uh, Young had 18 points. You had three guys step up and you're like, all right, all right. And then another followed up with another loss. You had a loss 106, 101 to Miami. And I again Miami's a very good team. But if you could have won that game against the Celtics or the uh Cavaliers, which you should have, you're a better team than they are, I think. And it it makes that that close loss to uh, I mean, it wasn't that close? It was more close than the score. That loss against Miami, it makes it look not so bad because you're like, all right, well, we just took three out of four this week. Like, all right, that's that's good. That's a path to making the playoffs. But then, win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game. That is spinning your wheels. That's not helping you out. And that that loss to Miami sure didn't look. It looked pretty close, 106-101. Uh, but you look, and really, it was a big comeback that you had that fell short. But they, Miami was dominating that game most of the game, and it could have been a blowout at one point. Um, and, and honestly, the most embarrassing thing happened in that game is, I'm sure you all have seen the meme, the video, everything of it, is Denzel Washington comes up the court with the ball and from about 10 feet behind the three line, chucks one up and it looks like Michael Scott from the office when he was playing playing basketball down in the warehouse just launching it. And you're like, what the hell were you doing? Like, I wish I had the confidence of Denzel Washington going down the floor ready to shoot a three because that guy... Just, it clicks in his head. You know who's the fucking man? Denzel Valentine. Denzel Valentine is, uh, is going to march down there and make that shot. And he goes out there and, and just whiffs. And it, it was the laughing stock of the NBA that night. Like, you know, like I wanted, I wish they would have cut him at that point. Yeah, that's it. Can't deal. Can't deal with this. Oh man. Um but really, Zach Levine is out in COVID protocol. Very likely with COVID. I don't think if you're you're tested negative, you're out this long. I think he's probably got it. He's probably tested positive. Um and that's that's an opinion. Don't don't uh, don't sue me, bulls. Um, you need guys to step up. And where's P. Will? I, that guy has hit the the rookie wall and has faded back. And this should be a time where he should be blossoming. I still think he's going to be a solid player, but but oof, you know he's really plateaued at a low point. Uh, I mean almost like he's valleyed. Which is frustrating. Laurie Markkinen should be stepping up big time, and just not. He's just not. I think his. I think this is cemented that he is not part of this team long term. You can spend that money better elsewhere. I I just don't think Laurie Markkinen is the future of this this franchise. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that he expected him to be. You know, there was a time when you were like, oh. This guy is probably the cornerstone when the Bulls are contender. That's just that ship has sailed, and I don't even think he's I don't even think he's a you know a cog in this team when they're when they're a competitive team. I just think he's done. Um, so you you look you look at him and I think you take that salary and you renounce his rights at the end of the season and you move on. You move on. You spend that money elsewhere. Maybe you use it to pursue Lonzo Ball uh, or somebody else. I just don't think you need him, and I don't think he fits with you, what you're trying to do. Um, and then I guess one thing I, I didn't talk about that you know sort of doesn't really fit in any any other topic is uh, Mongo Steve McMichael. Um, probably should have been an nfl hall of famer should have a, a bust in canton um member of the 85 bears uh announced that uh he's got als uh, lou garrick's disease and you know steve mcmichael is has been a loud mouth and said stupid things and i don't always like his uh, a lot of his opinions about things. I think he's wrong on a lot of things. But when it comes down to it, is ALS is a tough disease and it seems like it's affected him quickly. Um, they said he can't lift his arms, uh, he's already losing functionality in, um, in his body. And I think he said he just got diagnosed in January. We're we're not even in May, and it's already impacting like that. That's tough. Um, uh, You know, you don't wish that on anybody. And I I wish him the best. Um, If he truly, unless it's a misdiagnosis, if it's truly ALS, there's no hope for recovery. Um, You you just hope that the time left he has on this earth is uh, he's able to spend and make quality as possible. Um, So to Mongo McMichael, uh, you know, our best wishes to you. And thank you for what you were able to do as a Chicago bear. Um, That's a tough one to swallow um and on that note i really want to thank everybody so much for listening to the show um you know alex and i do this regularly uh this is this is a passion for us this is not like oh crap these guys make money on it It is we 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 do this because we love it and you guys listening is is the reason we do it Uh, it's very cathartic we like we like presenting it to you and the the folks that do listen to this show seem to really like it, and that that makes us happy. And makes it worthwhile to us. Um, and I know we can't be here today; it's family obligations. But um, you know, listening to us is, is we really appreciate it. So, um, however you guys listen to podcasts, if you can hit subscribe. but that's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, uh, just hit subscribe. If you have friends that that listen to podcasts that like Chicago sports, you know, send them this link. Tell them, hey, check this show out. Maybe they like it. Maybe they don't. It's not for everybody, um, but definitely pass it along. That's how we grow the show. And follow us on social media at Swersky Sports, Facebook.com/SwerskySports, Sports.com um, or Alex Pat Alex Pat, Alex Pat, Alex Pat Sports Chat.wordpress.com or Facebook, Alex Pat Sports Chat. Um, that's Alex's personal blog about sports. i follow that as well. And thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Ah! Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Number the- New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears 31 to negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.